may be seated. We did that last uh, slide there, or not had that last slide, in order for you to be able to relate to Daniel in the story that we're about to read, or that um, about to recount and read some of it, because as we'll find in the the events in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, asks his spiritual advisors to be able to interpret a dream. But he refuses to tell them what the dream is. So it's just like what we did there. You were to sing a song, but we refused to tell you what the words were. You can relate a little bit and be thankful that you didn't have a knife to your throat, which was the case with Daniel and the spiritual advisors. Well, um, to avoid reading the whole of chapter 2, which sort of you need to do, I'll tell you a little bit and continue to tell you the story and then we'll read particular parts of the the passage upon which we'll we'll focus here. But let's, let's pray. Gracious God, again, we give you thanks for your written word as it speaks to us of your people throughout the ages. It speaks to us of your unchanging nature and the, the, the common element of trust and surrender and belief in you, even in the most outlandish of circumstances. Help us hear from Daniel's experience as he lives according to your way in a land that doesn't. In Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, the, as I was mentioning, the basic story, and those of you that uh, aren't familiar with Daniel, th- this is uh, in the beginning of the, what we call the exile, where the people of Israel have been overtaken by Babylon. And they come through and they kidnap sort of the cream of the crop, the, the academic All-Americans. In Jerusalem, and they, they take them, they take some of the best furniture of the temple in Jerusalem, and it's the beginning. Eventually, Babylon comes through and destroys it. I mean, just destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple. But this is the, the beginning, and Daniel is one of those Rhodes scholars, and his friends, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, are taken with him and others into Babylon, into exile. And so Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 2, has a dream. And this dream really bothers him. I mean, he's unable to sleep because of the anxiety that this dream has caused. And as you can guess, Nebuchadnezzar, he's leading the, the Babylonians and he's beginning the destruction of Jerusalem. So he's not necessarily a nice guy. So uh, we'll, this will unfold how he chooses to respond to this anxiety-ridden dream that he has. Calls on his spiritual advisors, asks them all to help, and they're glad to, to help. Nebuchadnezzar, just tell us your dream. And Nebuchadnezzar decides to call their bluff. Says no. Because even in Nebuchadnezzar's day, those days, you know, 600 B.C., they had catalogs. List books, scrolls that described what dreams were like and what particular part they were. You know, Freud, Jung, they were nothing new. 
has been around for thousands of years. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I don't want your creative stories. I want to be sure that you are connected to our gods. Which is what Nebuchadnezzar would have thought of. Just a bunch of different gods that these spiritual advisors were connected to. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not going to tell you the dream. And I want you to tell me my dream. And then I want you to interpret it. And if you don't, then I'll kill the lot of you. Literally. He wasn't just getting angry. He he was sharpening the swords at the moment. Well, the spiritual advisors say this is humanly unachievable. Undoable. And that's where we'll pick up the reading Here in verse 11 of chapter 2. And we'll have it on the screen. It's on page 717 if you want to follow along in your pew Bible. But chapter 2 verse 11. So we pick it up as the spiritual advisors are now responding to... Or verse 10 I should say. Yeah. The thing that the king is asking is too difficult. And no one can reveal it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king flew into a violent rage and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. The decree was issued and the wise men were about to be executed. And they looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king's chief executioner, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the royal official, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time, and he would tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power and have now revealed to me what we asked of you, for you have revealed to us what the king ordered. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will give the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who can tell the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? 
Daniel answered the king, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show to the king the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be hereafter. And the revealer of mysteries disclosed to you what is to be. But as for me... This mystery has not been revealed to me because of any wisdom that I have more than any other living being. But in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to destroy them all. I mean, a vicious, ludicrous, atrocious, evil act by a powerful, despotic king. I mean, that's what it is. You felt you were a little frustrated not knowing the words of a song. Imagine what they were feeling being asked to do the impossible while the swords were being sharpened on the stones within their earshot. And Daniel enters into the middle of this evil fray. And we're given two words that describe how he enters. And again, I think we learn most from Daniel, not about what he does, but how he does it. Two words about how to act while we're in exile. We're told that he comes before the king with prudence and discretion. With prudence and discretion in the face of an absolutely horrific threat. He acts with calm and resolve. King, we will fulfill your request. We can do this. And and he had no idea. And at that point in time, he had no idea what the dream was. He had no inkling. It wasn't his. But he said, in a calm but resolved way, fully understanding the gravity of the situation, we can do it. How? How was he able to To act with prudence and discretion in such horrific, scary time. A couple things. One, he has a developing faith and trust in God. We're told in the beginning that he was educated and taught in the ways of the faith back in Jerusalem. Since arriving into Babylon, he's continued that that teaching. We find later on that he has regular habit, a daily habit, three times a day, coming before God in prayer. I mean, he has a real, live relationship with God where his faith is developing and strengthening and it has prepared him for, just like Esther, for such a time as this. 
I remember in college, as I was beginning to explore ministry as an option, one of my leaders at uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, a, a Christian group on campus, said, you know, if you go into ministry, your best ministry will probably be in your late 50s. Sorry for y'all, I'm not there yet, but got a few years to go. But I remember, you know, at 21, saying, whoa, that's forever to go. Doesn't seem so far away now. But he knew, he had wisdom and insight to realize the faith, the trust, the strength that it takes to live in exile with with calm and resolve, with discretion and prudence, it doesn't happen overnight. That's the kind of faith that that must be developed, that has to endure winters and grow its roots deeper and deeper before it can really bloom in the midst of a drought. Went to uh, Nate's baseball game, first baseball game yesterday. And it always kills me with the kids, who, my kids, they went to try to play sports and stuff. Because, you know, we live in such a, you know, microwave age, you know, ATM age, you know, instantaneous society, you know, rice in one minute or less. And they go play a game of baseball. Oh, I don't like baseball. I'm not good at it. Well, how many games have you played, son? One. How many practices have you been to? Two. You know, one game and two practices and you're supposed to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. That's the instantaneous society that we live in. Daniel was one who had developed his faith. And you see it here because his first, his middle, and his last instinct are prayer. The, the first thing that he does is he goes to his friends, which is a whole, another piece. He has a community. He has a support group around him. He, he has church with him, even in Babylon. We've got to pray. We, we've got to ask God for God's mercy that he will reveal this mystery. Those are his exact words. We don't deserve this. This is going to be an act of God's mercy. There's no promise that says he has to do this. There's no promise that says he will. But we've got to cry out to God's mercy to reveal to us this mystery. So with calm and resolve, they face this great, irrational, unjust act of a tyrant. I mean, we see in him, in his gentleness, in his discretion, in his prayer, we see in him some of the ways of contextualizing the gospel. What it means not to to run in fear or just to, to give up and totally assimilate into the people, but in our own context to live according to the way of God when the world around us doesn't. There's prudence, discretion, there is faith, there is community, there is prayer. And the realization, what is behind it all is the realization they serve a God who is all-powerful. 
He truly believes. He has, he has ingested. He has digested. He has made it his core. The, some of the songs that, that we sing about God's majestic reign. So he can go forward under control. Under the self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Not worry or anxiety. Not acting out of fear. It's a great place to be. Really. Even though I don't like it. But it's a great place to be when there's no response. There's no possible response but simply crying out to God. Help! Mercy! Help me now! That that's the only response they can make. Reveal this mystery. It's only, the only way it's going to happen, God, is if you do it. I love that his instinct was to go to his knees and to go to his friends and say, get on your knees. That's, that's not mine. It's not my initial instinct. I, I remember when I started um, in the, the church previous to this one in Mobile, at Central Presbyterian in Mobile, Alabama. My first day in the office was Monday, September the 10th, 2001. It was a nice day. It was a pretty day. Got my books all nice and arranged, you know, got situated on the computer, got, got the desk there, and then the next morning, literally, all hell broke loose. And my first Sunday before the congregation was going to be September the 16th, 2001. And I was lost. Like, what in the world am you, you going to say the first Sunday before a congregation and it's after the World Trade Center has crumbled? Well, I wish I could tell you that my first reaction was to pray. But it was to study, it was to worry, it was to be anxious, it was to wring my hands. And I remember... Saturday, the 15th, there was a little garden in the church uh, campus. And I was walking in the garden and there it hit me. You know, why don't you ask God? I'm glad the thought came on Saturday morning instead of Sunday afternoon. But as I was walking in the garden, I came upon the pond... And when I looked in the pond, there was a water lily, a solitary water lily in full bloom. And it hit me. Look, the flowers are still blooming. God is still the sovereign Lord of the universe. The sun is still rising and setting. The earth is still spinning on its axis. The trees are still growing. The grass is still green. God is the sovereign Lord of the universe no matter what terrible evil act we have to face. That is true, period. No questions asked. I went and got scissors and I cut that water lily and I put it in a vase and that was the call to worship, that was the sermon, that was the benediction, that was the confession and pardon, that was the call to offering. That was everything. That Sunday that the flowers 
are still blooming. So Daniel, after his time of prayer, which is his initial instinct, asking God, he receives in a vision of the night. He receives what the prayer is and receives how to interpret it. And then even better is that then his second instinct is then to pray. Yeah, I would have failed there too because I'd have woken up in the middle of the night and it would have come. I'd have written it down and then I'd have been running to the king. I mean, I'd have been I'd have been at the door, waking him up. Here it is. Believe it or not, here it is. But Daniel had a worship service when he received it. I tend to pray a lot. Saturday night and early on Sunday morning. But I don't pray as much Sunday afternoon. Maybe I would if you ran me out or something, but you're too gracious and kind for that. Daniel prayed just as much on Sunday morning as he did on Sunday afternoon. Led into a worship service that recognized anew. One of the most powerful prayers, I think, of the whole Scripture. That recognized the sovereign majesty of God. That He is the one of true and great power, of might and control over all the universe, even in the face of such a horrific situation. Daniel truly believed and lived that God was the sovereign power of the universe. That nothing happens outside of his control. Nothing happens to surprise God. Even Nebuchadnezzar was under God's control. That's what fed his ability to come before the king with sword sharpening in earshot with prudence and discretion. He returns to the king. And don't you love Arioch? Don't you love him there? King, look who I've found. Now I've found someone from Judah that knows the answer to your prayer. Aren't I great? You can thank me later. To which then Daniel comes in and who's got the answer? I mean, he's got it. He's got the dream, he's got the interpretation, and he's before him. And he spends, what, two or three verses being sure that Nebuchadnezzar realizes that Daniel really had nothing to do with it. He was, as Mother Teresa called us, just simply a pencil in the hand of God. He was simply the one that God had placed in that time and space to be able to show the king just how powerful God is. Daniel makes clear this is not about any particular gift of wisdom that he has. It is the great, powerful work of God that he has the privilege of delivering. I wonder for each of us, how are we like Daniel? How has God placed us in a position, a situation, 
where maybe even we're facing real evil. And He's calling us with prudence and discretion, with gentleness, mercy, and love to step into it and speak like Daniel. Don't don't do that. We'll figure out the answer. Each of us are placed in those situations. And our, our human response is to respond either fear or, or, or flight. Or, or flight or fight. Yeah, there we go. You know, it's, it's to separate. Let's get away from it. Or to assimilate, which is to fight. To see who yells the loudest. To see who's got the most power. But Daniel is is giving us an example of how to enter into the evil of being in exile. Discretion, prudence, prayer, community, and a deepening trust and reliance that God is in control no matter what. It didn't really even get to the content of the dream. Because in actuality, that's really secondary. What's primary is how Daniel entered into exile. The the dream is is mentioned there. And and basically, what the, the basic interpretation of the dream is that God wins. That the Nebuchadnezzar basically says, you know, there's going to be four kingdoms. Before Jesus comes. Daniel didn't say that. But as we look back on it. That's what we know. There's going to be the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Babylonians. Then there's going to be the Persian kingdom. Then there's going to be the Greek kingdom. Then there's going to be the Roman kingdom. And then as you read in the dream. A rock from nowhere is going to come and crash it in. And destroy it all. And that rock will then rule the world forever. In peace and harmony. And for us, we look at that and, and that reminds us of what Daniel's been trying to show us all along. God is in control. No matter what evil we face, no matter how terrible it might seem this afternoon or tomorrow morning, God is in control so we can walk forward in faith and trust and enter into the evil wherever it is with discretion and prudence, allowing God to work through even you and me. Now, what I want to look at, I want to just catch the last part of the verse and then see Nebuchadnezzar's response. Verse 45 through 49. Just... As you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain, not by hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has informed the king what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain and its interpretation trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, worshipped Daniel, and commanded that a grain offering, an incense, be offered to him. 
The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar then fell on his knees in worship. Now, we'll see. This is a stage in Nebuchadnezzar's journey. Wouldn't call this conversion, because we'll see later. It's not, doesn't stick. But it's one where he has his first encounter with the real, living, great God. Now what I, I wonder, for, for each of us, as the musicians get ready and deacons get ready to take up the offering, I, I wonder for us, who are the Nebuchadnezzars in our life? Not only the evil that we're called to encounter with discretion and prudence, but the people that do it. The people that we look at and say, they're a lost cause. They're they're, they're beyond the reach of God's hand. Daniel calls us to boldly, boldly pray for him. To, to bring them to the throne of God, to, to enlist the help of others to pray for them, to lift them up so that God will show His mighty, great, loving power to them. As we come before, as we offer ourselves to God, I invite us not only to offer ourselves, but to offer those people, those situations. Where are you at, at school or at work, in the community, in your neighborhood, in relationships, maybe even in your family, where are you called to to do the impossible? To interpret a dream that you don't even know? To reach out in love to someone like Nebuchadnezzar? Offer them. Give those situations to God, just like Daniel did. Give them to Him, so that He'll work through you to show His love and His power. If, if you're responding to those situations in, in anxiety, worry, fear, offer that fear. Offer the anxiety. Offer the worry. Give it to God. Let Him do the work in each of us. Deepening our faith. Rooting it stronger and stronger so that we can stand firm. Even in the face of of evil. Let us offer it unto God. Amen.